I am single. I did get drunk. I did buy Tinder Prime, and I fully regretted it. But yeah, here we go. <laughs> Little Messi drove my nana to drink. Yeah, he sells Hot Wheels out of his jacket. <laughs> I'd like to think that he knew that John Terry was a huge Saturdays fan. And like Campbell's Hot Soup is a, is a is a big deal. Pele is Jay from In Between Us. Luigi, oh. don't quit your day job, mate. Who do you think is more handsome? Xavi Alonso. Pirlo. If you say it, say it with chest. Sorry, you just have to guess. Do you want to go to the toilet? You ever seen a baby pigeon? Uh, he's he was good mates with Pablo Escobar, from what oh. I read. Mara, who? Sorry, you're a pair of twats. You know that. Hello and welcome back to the Nostalgia FC podcast with your hosts, me Drew and me George. This is the podcast where we get guests on to come and chat with us about their favourite football players, football teams, football kits, and all that jazz. And today's guest is no different. In fact. He comes from the wonderful world of Football Shirts podcast. Richard Critchlow, welcome to the podcast. Hello, guys. Thanks for having me on. So, Richard, I've sort of plugged it in there, but tell our listeners all about your podcast. Okay. Um, so, completely different. So, not a competition. But even if it was a competition, I always think there's space for everybody in football shirts and football community. So, I'm quite happy to be on and to kind of be able to plug and uh, I feel like it will be reciprocated at some point. Very excited to have you guys on to talk about football shirts or lack of thereof. Um, but yes, yeah, so me and my co-host Mark, who is uh, living in Berlin, we, this is pre-pandemic, we used to message each other all the time about football shirts, old ones, new ones. And we just thought to ourselves, instead of just messaging each other all the time, why don't we record it? and see who listens. So we did. Um, Mark moved away to Berlin, so I don't really get to see him. So we do just chat via WhatsApp and video calls. And funnily enough, like three or four people listened to the podcast within the first day. And we're like, oh, okay, this is something people like. And so it snowballed from there. And it's um, a loosely based football shirt podcast in which we talk about the fashion of football shirts, history of some kits, um, like actually how football shirts work as a fashion icon, like wearing them out and about, um, footballers and what they wear. I mean, we love seeing footballers um, do like Burberry photo shoots and Vogue photo shoots. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Hector Bellerin. I remember Mo one recently. Yeah, I was going to say Hector Bellerin was probably going to be your icon, right? Yeah. But Mo Salah did the Adidas Gucci one and wore an Adidas yeah, yeah. Gucci suit and it was mad and it filled us up with content for like the next like 30 minutes. It was wicked. Um, we are both kind of shirt collectors to a certain degree. Uh, Mark is an Arsenal fan, so loves talking about Arsenal and collects all Arsenal shirts. Uh, me, I'm a Wolves fan and I collect many different shirts. Yeah, quick question as well. Um, with you being your podcast being about kits and you being a Wolves fan, what colour is Wolves kit? Old gold. Well, we thought, oh, well, okay, we'll leave that there. Yep. There's one Wolves fan that's been on this podcast a few times. We'll be very happy right now listening to it. Of course, because that's the colour of the shirt. There's no, I mean, I all can I'm get... saying is if you were in the Olympics and you got a gold medal that colour, you'd be very disappointed. Yeah. So uh, you're a Wolves fan, international-wise? England, all the way. Just, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, no, 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 it's fine. Uh, you know, 
I should say, at the moment, I've got a very big soft spot for Portugal. Uh, yeah, well, I wonder why. Yeah. <laughs> Wolves B, as they're not affectionately yeah. known. But it's it's funny because we're growing up when we had some international players, you all of a sudden had a soft spot for certain teams. Like Kevin, was it Kevin Muscat was uh, Australian? And at the time, when he was playing for Wolves, he was our penalty taker. And then I found out he scored, I think it might, I mean, I might be wrong. It might have been he scored two hat-tricks in one game against one of those really like American Samoa teams when they won 26-0. And he yeah. scored six penalties, but that didn't matter. What counts, sir? They all count. They all count. Yeah, tell that to the Harry Kane doubters. Let's get into your team. So we'll start off with the formation. What formation have you chosen? When you have to come up with your uh, imaginary formation, I believe the only correct answer is something like a 3-5-2. Now, on balance, my 3-5-2 is pretty... Can I swear? Of course, yeah, yeah. Away. Probably a shit team, in all honesty, but it's my team. It probably it's a dream team. They're, they're never going to actually play, so it's kind of okay. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, so three five two, I feel, has got a good balance because you've got you've got enough defenders, so you don't have to list name all four. You've got uh, guys that can get up and down. You can pack your midfield out with quality, and then you can have some strikers which are going to bang in the goals left, right, and centre. That. Well, right down as well. Appreciate that. Sometimes we have guests that come on and then have no idea what formation they've chosen. Sort of go, um, just four, four, two. Yeah. Right. We're going to start where every team will always start, and we're going to go between the stakes. Who have you got in goal? I want. Can I? I'm going to be a bit rude, and can I be a bit different? Because yeah, I've got go ahead. between them all. So first of all, I want to start off with a striker. It can only be. It can only be one person. It can only be one person. It has to be Steve Ball. Steve Ball as the. Oh, you know, I've even numbered them, but this is a problem. So I'm going to go back three, five, two, one to eleven. What numbers are in what position? Do you put number four as a centre back because number four is a holding mid? But could does number four become a centre back position? Does two and three I, become? The what the wing backs? Does seven is seven a wing back? Does eleven go up front? I don't know. So this is the panic I had. This is how serious I took it. Well, we'll just go with whatever you want. What what position, right. what number do you want them to be? Steve Bull wears number nine. I believe it's his birthday today. So happy birthday, Steve Bull. Three hundred was it three hundred six goals for Wolves or three hundred two something like that? Scored for England on his debut. I mean, in the Wolverhampton area, he is an occult hero. Um, I don't think he has to buy a pint ever. Went so I went to the World Cup in Italian '90 with England. Uh, had the record for a long time of the most amount of goals in a football season of 52, I think, uh, beaten a few years ago by Messi. So, wow. it's good company it, to be in, isn't it? It, it? it is, and it's one of those ones where. You don't really, you you know, you'll probably know, heard of the name, but you probably don't know all of the stats until you yeah, kind of look into it. Yeah, incredible. I mean, like you said, 52 goals in one season is insane at any level. I think he then beat it the following season with 53. Jesus. Oh, my God. But he I mean, was part of that Wolves, uh, like I say, a bit too young for me, but he was part of a Wolves team that uh, were 
almost getting relegated from what was Division 4. And then he joined with Andy Thompson from West Brom, which is a bone of contention as well because they're a bit of rivals. And we went yeah, we yeah. went one Division 3, 4, 3, 2. And I think, yeah, just missed out on uh, Premier League with Steve Ball, which was upsetting for Wolves fans. But we get to keep him, so it's all good. Yeah. I mean... As always with this podcast, we tend uh, to veer off into the absurd. And here we go again. Steve Bull, in November 2022, launched his own clothing line, SB9. Yep. SB9. And I was looking forward to SB9 clothing being released because, of course, you, you're you obsessed with him. However, I cannot justify paying £35 for a T-shirt that's just got SB9 on it. Yeah, it's not even that clever. I've just searched it. Like, <laughs> I love, I love the fact as well. He's not, he's not shelled out for a model. It's just him in his living room. It's great. What I like about every him. every single bit of clothing is just him in his living room. Also, because he's a Wolves ambassador, whenever they release a new retro line, he's the one who models them as well, which is great because he looks, he, he still looks all right, decent. Yeah, that's good. Um, the other story I've got, which I'll try and be as quickly as possible, which I have spoken about on uh, my podcast before, is that I feel like I'm the only person in the world to have never met him. Oh, really? And, um, my little brother, who hates football, got given a swimming certificate by Steve Ball. Um, nice. My older brother uh, frequents the pub called The Mermaid, in which Steve Ball frequents too, so he's met him there. Uh, my mom and dad have met him many times. I've got a picture just here, which I'll send to you later. Picture of Steve Ball, to Richard, all the best mates, Steve Ball, signed, wonderful. I've got Steve Ball books that have been signed, that my parents have got signed. Never met him. Then a few years ago, when Wolves got relegated to League One, they were playing Leighton Orient, which uh, is relevant to the story of my number 1 to 11. Uh, me and my brother-in-law, who's an Orient fan, went to Molyneux, drove up to Molyneux, sat there about an hour early to watch the goalkeepers warm up. And who should start walking around the pitch? And who should open the gate to go into the stand of where I'm sitting? Steve Bull. My brother-in-law is nudging me, saying, it's Steve Bull. It's Steve Bull. I know it's Steve Bull. And I froze. He just walked past me, about two metres past me. And I froze and I panicked. Oh. And he went up and he went into the box and kind of did all these media jargon and then by the time he came back down there were little kids and adults around him asking for signatures i missed my opportunity and i told that story on the podcast and so mark who is my counterpart he paid for steve ball to record me a cameo so i had a message from steve ball on cameo class nice nice so yeah that, that's steve ball if that story doesn't get you some complimentary sb9 gear i don't know what will yeah We'll, we'll tag him in everything. Yeah. Um, right. So I guess I might as well complete the lineup of strikers. And um, I've numbered him as number 11, but he's going to play up front. And it's Dennis Burkamp. Oh, yes. It's a chalk and cheese kind of role. If you find yourself going back and watching some Steve Ball video clips, he is the kind of striker. I can't really think of any kind of... Think of... He's just a poacher. He can finish from anywhere, left and right foot, header. He's going to get um, put his foot in his head in where he might get hurt. But Dennis Burkamp was such a different class of player. 
So much so that my father-in-law, who is an ardent Tottenham supporter, went to the Dennis Bergkamp testimonial game at the Emirates and brought back the programme and said it was brilliant. Um, just You just watch the highlights of his goals. They are phenomenal. You know, that, I mean, the fact that he managed to do the same goal like three or four times against different opponents, you know, over the shoulder, one touch to control it, one touch to kind of nick inside, and then an outside of the boot against Argentina, against Leicester. Just I remember, I remember the one with Burkamp, and uh, he had his back to goal, and his defender jockeying him, and he puts the ball one side of the defender, rolls the other side of the defender, and still manages to get the ball. And then just... the Newcastle one, yeah, uh, yeah. I think it well, might be. so the Newcastle one is a question for you now. There is a side of Twitter, a dark side of Twitter. That suggests that goal was a fluke and he didn't mean to do that. And it was actually a miscontrolled touch which sent the ball around the defender before he then went round and scored. Um, let's just, I mean, we could analyse every single goal. I mean, look at Wayne Rooney's overhead kick against Man City. He shinned that. Yeah. yeah. But the, the other thing I will say is, though, about that, and like, if me or you did that exact same touch and it did exactly the same thing, we're not scoring it. No. Like we're not getting on the end of it. We're not he's scoring. Got to, he's still got to put it away. He's still yeah. got to have. It's like that. Do you ever see that video? Or even of, just like, get through the ball, know where the ball is, and have that yeah. footballing IQ of where it it's is. Like, still. There's that one where I think Pele had a shot cleared off the line. He did something similar, but he dummied the ball, but ran the other way round past the goalkeeper. And there is a there is a a genius about it. Even if it, like you say, it is a miscontrol. There's a genius about it that his brain is always there and switched on. I mean, one of the greatest Premier League players of all time, a Dutch legend. Like, yeah, he just wrote the book on that that sort of just nonchalant striker vibes, you know, like like Berbatov. Hey, right. Berbatov, very similar play style in terms of just silky I've watched, smooth. I've watched Berbatov play, and I can't think of. Now you've mentioned it, he could have been in my team because I've never seen a lazier, harder working striker in my life. People booed him because he wouldn't chase something down. But in his head, he's like, well, what's the point in me closing down 10 yards of space and losing some energy when the ball's just going to get pumped up? You know, he just used it so wisely. And, of course, he was afraid of flying. And that's kind of what brought it to most people's attention. If you didn't really know Arsenal that well or Premier League, you still knew of Burkamp because he couldn't fly anywhere. He was in the papers. He had to leave like three days in advance to get to Moscow. Yeah, insane, isn't it? Insane. The, the non-flying Dutchman. What a lad. Yeah. What a lad. Yeah, incredible. Did you know his son is playing for Bromley? I did. Not for who? Bromley. Bromley as in? As of January 2023, his son Mitchell. National League side Bromley. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. And his daughter, his daughter is the partner of Donny Van Der Beek. Felt like I knew, but I didn't. But that's cool. That's pretty cool. I mean, you want to kind of breed some excellent footballers there, don't you? So if you're Dennis Burkamp and you're going to get your daughter to marry another footballer, you know, going to grate some great genes. Yeah, yeah, the absolute wrong one at the moment. He's not doing well. No. Right, so you've gone rogue and you, you've tipped the whole thing on its head here by going for the strikers first. So I'm not even going to suggest where we go next. Just take us wherever you want. Okay, so I'm actually going to li- I'm actually going to say to you 
I, you know, I'll, I'll go goalkeeper now. I had to get the strikers out there. The goalkeeping one is interesting because um, I am a goalkeeper, but I started late. Um, I didn't start playing in goal um, until, say, like late noughties. I was um, a midfielder um, who could do a job at full back and centre back. Um, scored quite a lot of goals. But then uh, helped out on my Sunday league team when we needed it. Found that I was quite good. And over there, I developed. So growing up, apart from, say, like Wolves goalkeepers or Peter Schmeichel, who were the obvious choices, the Wolves goalkeeper at the time was Mike Stell, who is, I think, now less. He was a Leicester goalkeeper coach or he may have gone to Stoke. I don't remember. And also there's one which I could have chose but didn't. It was Hans Sagers because Wolves had a... Uh, FA Cup run to the semi-final. We lost to Arsenal at Villa Park back in, I want to say, maybe 96, 97. Christopher Ray scored and Hans Sagers was a goalkeeper at that point. He saved a penalty against Leeds to get us there. But he had some dodgy dealings. Like, wasn't he um, done for match fixing? I think as soon as you mentioned the name, I was like, I've heard this name before, yeah. but not so, in a positive context. I mean... Some of the other people on this list could be match fixers or have done something naughty, but Hans Sagers was definitely so it couldn't be. So actually, my 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 pick for a goalkeeper is someone who's still playing at the moment, who as a slightly larger guy, um, stockier built. Um, I've gone for Casper Schmeichel. Nice, nice. Um, my brother-in-law, um, who is the Orient fan, was my manager when I started to become a goalkeeper. And actually, when I was talking to him about this podcast, he always thinks of me and and Kasper Schmeichel as being similar, but obviously on an amateur level because of kind of our stockiness. And um, there's something about Kasper Schmeichel who is just fun to watch. He's very talented, but obviously of a certain generation of goalkeeper where probably not as good as with his feet, because I would assume he was part of the Man City, wasn't he, very early on. You would assume yeah, yeah. he would have had some kind of buyback clause and the fact that they never executed it. And he's never really, let's be honest, he's never really played at the top. I know they won the league with Leicester, but yeah, a lot of other players went on to go and play for Chelsea. Like, how come he never made that move? It's obvious that he's obviously not good, as good with his feet as others. So... He's to me. He's a kind of. He's still an old school goalkeeper, but fantastic. And also, I have. A, I'm a bit of a boot obsessive as well. I love my football boots. The guy kind of turns out doesn't sign any contracts with boot manufacturers or glove manufacturers. So he just wears what he wants to. And he turned out in um, Predator Accelerator boots, in the kind of fluo yellow version, and was playing in the Premier League wearing them. And you just thought to myself, like, look at this guy. Look at him. So uh, yeah, I, I do love Casper Schmeichel. There's something I feel like you can't hate him. No, um, I mean possibly because he's Peter's son as well. But I mean, to, I think that whole Leicester City uh, side that won the league as well. Uh, you just have a bit of a love for all of them. Absolutely, because like that's something you want to see. You want to see that underdog story. You want to yeah. see like the team that's not supposed to win it. Like the fact that Napoli are doing it in Italy at the moment, but they're more. Yeah, they're not expected yeah. than Leicester ever were. 
I think yeah. uh, we've asked Michael a fun one, a very current one. This will this will put a, a timestamp on this podcast as well. Uh, he's had not had a very good weekend, old Casper. He was in goal for Denmark's collapse as they lost three two to Kazakhstan. Oh, yeah. This time in 50 years that of Kazakhstan's uh, footballing existence that they've beaten a team in the top 50. Oh, dear. That's... Uh, oh, no. I've also... I do listen to a few goalkeeping podcasts where he's been on and, and I've always enjoyed his kind of conversations about talking about what goalkeeper... what balls goalkeeper's like, what pick of gloves is he picking? And then um, he spoke very candidly about the England-Denmark... Um, semi-final and the yeah. Euros and how um, I mean this might have been a bit of bullshit but he hated the semi-final ball because it was silver so it wasn't as grippy and he said he could have saved Harry Kane's penalty or he could have caught Harry Kane's penalty but because of the ball he had to kind of readjust his it sounds believable but also it sounds a bit bullshitty that's all I'm saying yes, I also might say I also think whether whether that's true or not, don't don't use it because you're just going to get the absolute yeah. pace rent, like taken well, out of you. So. He did anyway, didn't he? Because he said that is it ever come home thing? I mean, yeah. Oh, we did. We didn't like that one. No. I mean, oh. he was our hero for a week. <laughs> so was Panucci. Sorry. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, let's move on. Wherever you want to go, right? Well, I'm going to go with my back three. All right, so we're back um, in order now. All right, there you go. Yeah, we're back in order now. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm going to start. Hey, don't bother. It's great. Start with number five, Yap Stam. Ooh. Now, the reason for Yap Stam is because um, growing up, I never had Sky TV. Um, we only ever had the kind of basic four channels, then five. And Champions League football was on a Wednesday. Was it a Wednesday and a Thursday or Tuesday and Wednesday? But it was always Manchester United. It was always Manchester United. And Yapstam was the big signing who struggled in the Premier League. Struggled to kind of get into the team. But at I always remember, but at Champions League level, he was immense because he was playing the style of football that they play in Europe, not in the Premier League. Obviously, took that, got into the Premier League and became an absolute destroyer. Yeah, he's just an immense football player, immense. Yeah, and it's only because of the Champions League that I remember watching him and following him play that I thought he's, you know, you just can just remember him wearing that kind of Man United Champions League kit, you know, jumping up and winning headers, scoring a header, things like that. And But the one thing I remember the most is was it in Euro 2000 or Euro 2004 when he split his eye um eyebrow and was didn't get subbed off went off the pitch and the camera panned to him on the t- on the subs bench with the doctor stitching him back up and you could see this physio's hand like shaking violently you know shaking oh. massively as he's trying to stitch van uh, Yapstam's um, eyebrow back together. I mean, but that's the thing. I bet he didn't even realise until someone pointed out to him. He was like, "What? There's something wrong with me? <laughs> Get me off yeah. on the pitch." Uh, he his aggression continued even through 
I know his management stint wasn't as great as maybe some think, but when he's played in those uh, charity games, what they call soccer aid, he's still as strong and as aggressive as ever. And I, I really, I really appreciate that. Yeah. It's actually a title of one of our episodes is Calm Down, Jap. It's for charity. Yeah. <laughs> we discussed that very point that even in Soccer Aid, he's snapping people and, and breaking it's legs. It's so funny. <laughs> but um, So I, I always knew that it was a con- controversial uh, transfer, the United to Lazio, but I never knew why. Do you know? So Alex Ferguson um, was upset because basically there was allegations by uh, Stam in his autobiography uh, about opposition players and that Ferguson approached to buy him without the permission of PSV. Ooh. And so Ferguson didn't like that that was, co- well, either coming into light or that was a lie yeah. or whatever. And he sold him. It just shows you that the, so Alex Ferguson is just literally savage. No nonsense. Get out of my club if you're going to talk bad against me. Yep, Stan, great player, great pick. Let's move along to one of your next defenders. Yep, so we've got number six. Um, who played number six. He didn't play for number six for Wolves, but I think he played number six for Southampton. Also had a stint with Bradford and then played for Tottenham. It is Dean Richards. Now, um, it's kind of, there's a bit of emotion with this one because Dean Richards had four years at Wolves and this was when I was probably at my biggest Wolves fan as as a boy. The more times I got to go and watch Wolves, Dean Richards be at centre back, um, tall, lanky guy who just—I'm not saying he—I mean, it's hard to say because you kind of see your 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 players for your team better than anyone else does and compare them to higher things. But he played like Rio Ferdinand, a calm, cool, and collected defender that took the ball out, intercepted, but was so elegant on the ball. And um, I have a real soft spot for him. Um, unfortunately, he passed away way too early. And I remember being really upset when he passed. And it turned out that Wolves' next game was against Tottenham. And so this was back when we were in the Premier League with uh, Mick McCarthy as manager. So there was a real massive outpouring for this game. And all like his daughters, uh, someone from Spurs, someone from Southampton, someone from Bradford all came down, laid a shirt with Dean Richards' name on the back in the middle of the pitch and actually turned out to be an incredible game of football. I think, uh, well, I know for a fact it ended up 3 all, and people said this is just what he would have wanted. But um, yeah, been, been a player who had to retire early and was cut down, maybe not so much in his prime because I don't think he'd ever would have been that level, but was always so solid, so reliable, and so elegant and lovely to watch. Yeah, yeah. taking some far too soon. Yeah, very sad story. But like you said, a great player and one of those ones where he's not really talked about in the in the comparisons of like like you said the Rio Ferdinand comparison in style of play. It mm. doesn't it does go under the radar honestly. So yeah, it's, it's it's nice that you can talk about him now. It is unfortunately I don't have as much to say about him, but um, <clears throat> but. Because again, there wasn't as much footage to watch, and it's not like you know nowadays. Yeah, it's like watch these ten amazing tackles by said player. But um, growing up, he was just for me immense and wonderful at the centre back position. Um, my third and final centre back, I was 
Um, this guy was always going to be in my team. He was going to start off at left back, but then I moved to a three at the back and I scoured the internet to see if he ever played in this position. And he did. So it's okay. I'm not shoehorning someone in. And right, my right. reason for picking him is threefold. Um, I was playing fullback at the time, and so was he. He had spiky hair at the time, which was pretty cool because not many footballers did. And he also came from the Channel Islands, which we used to always holiday. I said three, there's four reasons. This is the best reason why. You guys might be a bit too young to remember these, but um, when I was growing up, we had, when England were playing in Euro 96, they released the Corinthian big head footballers. But that big, big head, small body, and originally they used to be a mystery pack. So you used to buy them for like one ninety nine, and they were in a sealed pack. You couldn't see what they were. The very first one I opened, Graham Lasso. Graham Lasso. Hello. And for that reason, Graham Lasso was the first corinthian big head that i went on collecting as many as possible and Amazing. i mean I've, I've listened to podcasts with him as guest very well educated maybe more so than was probably acceptable at the time got treated poorly by teammates for reading the independent um had some bite in him because there was that incident with him and gareth batty in the Champions League, where he just had enough and thought he said something towards him, so started a fight with him. But then, also, scorer and some incredible goals. He, I think he scored, I want to say he scored one goal for England, and it was either in the Umbro Cup, or Le, maybe it was Umbro Cup or Le Turn Y. He scored against Brazil, a free kick against Brazil. Amazing. If you're going to score one goal, you might as well be against them, eh? Yeah, why not? So, yeah, I just have always had a real big soft spot for Graham Lasso. I love, like, so, right, those little figures, right? The Corinthian yeah. ones. I'm, they might not be the Corinthian ones, but I'm sure they did. Like, it was a chocolate thing, and inside the chocolate ball was little versions of them. Because I have a Michael Owen one. Yeah. From when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There was a song, and it was like, football crazy, football mad. Grab a... Power pod? Is that what they're called? Oh, I can't remember. I do, I, do remember I do remember this is a thing now, though. But they were the same sort of thing where it's like a little name pad, a little yeah. name vehicle, and then a big head, I mean, which, was, I, which probably... I thought was great because I've got a massive head, so it gave me hope <laughs> that I could be famous. Have Have you still got that Graham Lasso Corinthian? Probably up in mom and dad's loft, maybe, yeah. Because I just, I just typed it in. And uh, one is going on eBay for £60. Get in. Well, so I mean, to... when, it's when I find all of them. The annoying thing was, is it's much like everything when you kind of do these collections, especially with football teams. My first one was Graham Lasso. My second one was Matt Letissier. My third Letizia one was someone like Warren Barton. And you think, well, why are you giving me all these players that are never going to play? I didn't get mm -hmm. Shearer. Oh, and then I got like Andy Cole. I'm like... <laughs> Great players. But, great one. What are you on about? But he wasn't in the England team, really, was yeah, he? Yeah, he wasn't big there, was he? Even like Ian Wright, as great as Ian Wright was, it was always it's going to be Shearer and Sheringham. Yeah, so you wanted uh, the big boys. Yeah. Uh, you didn't specify what number is Lasso? 
Oh, right. So that's a good one. Uh, number three. Number three. So I've you made know the he's playing at centre back. Yeah, so I've made the decision to put a number three at centre back. I mean, Eric Bailly. Yeah. Uh, is he a centre back? Is he even a football player? I don't know if you can call him that. Yeah. I don't know. It's just a bit. He's reunited. He just lies on the injury table now, I think. Let's move on. Yeah. To the midfield. You've got five okay. across that midfield. Yeah. So I'm going to start with um, what was one of his original numbers. Uh, and I'm going to start with my right wing back. And that will be number 10, David Beckham. Oh, hello. Back when Cantona was seven, David Beckham wore the number 10. I think he wore the number 10 when he scored from the halfway line against Wimbledon. Uh, 20, I think. <sighs> I mean, I might be wrong. He did I, wear ten. I, I, he did wear. He ten wore ten at one point. I believe he wore twenty when he scored the halfway line goal. I could be wrong though. Nah, it doesn't matter. I'm usually wrong. I contradict myself all the time. Yeah. The well, thing is, so, so we have a, a little kind of like prerequisite with our podcast that we will contradict ourselves most of the time. Oh, you've got to you got to do it. So. With David Beckham, now there's multiple eras and multiple different um, sort of I know. iterations of David Beckham, the player. Most importantly, what David Beckham haircut is he sporting <laughs> Good one. in this game? Yes. Um, it's not the cornrows. Definitely not the cornrows. It's, I don't, I, do you think that bald, shaved head David Beckham was the best David Beckham? He had that, that kind was of, great. it was the arrogant Kind of like yeah, he had was, a little he knew, he knew he well. was a star at that point, but that was that was like after the red card, and he was vilified by the nation. Everyone hated him. He shaved all his blonde locks off, and went with that skinhead. And even Bad people boy. wore skinhead like outfits to boo him at games. But that was obviously the grease goal with the. Yeah, at the time, iconic. Yeah, yeah, really. I, I mean, strangely enough, and such an iconic haircut, being so whatsoever. So I think because you you went through all the stages, it's like you won't go for the Mohican because even though at the time everyone in school put their hair into a Mohican yeah. because of him, it yeah. wasn't a good look. Um, cornrows, absolutely not. Uh, the shaved head was cool. I actually really like the curtains early career. The early curtains. The early career Beckham. Floppy like, curtains. Well, that's what made him... Also, at the sexy. end, just the stylish short back and sides, and he just... I mean, I, I love him. I'm not going to... I've got... I haven't got it here, but I've got... I've got an Inter Miami shirt with his name on the back. I've got an England shirt with his name on the back. Um, the Euro... No, the World Cup 98 shirt with his name on the back. I've got a PSG shirt with his name on the back. Um, 32 from when he retired. I've got, um, I even got the, uh, he even looked good in the number 17 back when McLaren was like, no, you're not part of our team anymore, David. And then England were like rubbish. And he was like, actually, David, you can come back. And he, uh, yeah, the uh, 2010 England shirt, which is my favorite England shirt, which is the kind of polo shirt collared one. And he had the number 17 on the back. And even then, I just, I love him. Um, I, I know, obviously, he's people don't like him so much at the moment with the controversial backing of Qatar World Cup, but I just think he just oozes I elegance now. I don't actually think people 
hate him for that. Like, I haven't seen yeah. much hate for him. I've, he, I've seen the whole thing could, of like he could punch a dog, and everyone would be like, "Oh, it's Dave Beckham, isn't it?" Yeah, that dog deserved it. That dog definitely deserved it in some way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I but think it's think it's hard. It well. Like the iconic teams he's played in, the iconic goals he's scored. Like, yeah, you can think you can pick four or five goals that he's scored that are just exceptional. Um, the fact that uh, maybe it's we create the monster itself because the media followed him so much. But you know, you read stories about how he trained so hard. After training, he would have a bag of balls and just top corner, top corner, you know, aiming for that with his free kick technique. A unique technique as well. Like in my head, this, yeah. There's not been, uh, and I mean, I don't just mean like a direct free kick as well. I mean, if you're just whipping it into the box, I feel like there's not been a as good a set piece taker as him. Like the whip he used to get on the ball. Maybe, maybe James Ward-Prowse. Maybe, say, James maybe, Ward-Prowse, yeah. maybe you, Alexander you, Arnold. You pass him as your kind of James uh, Alexander Arnold. I would say is your deliverer of balls. Yeah, not your shooting. Ward-Prowse is your shooting free kick, but hasn't really, I don't think yet, got a name for himself as being a sister. Whereas David Beckham could do all of them. I mean, there's one. I can't think of the exact game it was, but. He's kind of just gone over the halfway line for Real Madrid and he pings a ball that starts bending one way, then drifts the other way. And Ronaldo just has to run onto it and volley it in. And it's just, oh. The thing is with Beckham as well, last thing we'll say on Beckham, I think he played for these iconic clubs, had these iconic haircuts, but he also played with a long, long list of iconic, incredible football players. Yeah. Like he joined at the peak Galacticos era to Real Madrid. Mm. When he went to AC, Ronaldinho was there, Pirlo was there, PSG, you know, Zlatan was there still. It was like he's played with the best players of his generation. And he's not massively out of place. So I think when he went to PSG, maybe he was he was getting on a yeah, bit. Yeah, he was just there for the ride, wasn't he? But, but yeah. Not to forget as well, he did kind of adapt his game as it went. I know he was never had an abundance of pace, but he I remember, like, again, in PSG games when, you know, Champions League was more readily available, you just saw him playing balls about, not really maneuvering, which is, you know, I find it fascinating that he managed to have such a long career. Yeah. Yeah. An absolute icon of the game, Golden Balls himself. Yeah. Big fan of that one. Right. So, on to the next. Now, I'm going to move across because my. Other wing back is a slightly interesting one. Um, so I've gone, okay, I've gone Beckham. The guy whose name was the first name on my uh, lips when I started to enjoy football because it's such a strange, I guess, a strange name when you're used to not weird names. Um, I only really knew him at the international level for a long time, only until I got a bit older. Scorer of one of the greatest goals in European competition Paul Gascoigne Amazing. I so I have to kind of prerequisite by saying I was born in 1985 so I have no memory of Italian 90 which is obviously peak Gaza but for me Euro 96 blonde hair sleeves I used to roll my sleeves up just to try and look like Paul Gascoigne playing football he had a, a nickname, which obviously Gaza, which was his nickname. 
and growing up i didn't know any of these kind of off the pitch shenanigans his um legacy grows the older you get because the older i get older i got and the more i read stories the more obviously now podcasts are about and you hear i mean steve ball uh, steve ball i think shared a room with gaza and so steve ball's got all of these stories about gaza in like italian 90 not being able to sleep start playing tennis at 3 a.m and bobby robson like coming out and being like what are you doing um i'll be scotland in the morning what are you do yeah um there's one where he's like uh steve ball obviously would just happy to be there so had everything packed and every day gaza would say oh steve we're just going to the shop to buy some shampoo do you want anything and he's like no and it's only until like a few days in that they realized they weren't going to the shop to buy shampoo every day they were just going to drink some beer and of course you might write this in the stats uh one of the last clubs paul gascoigne ever played for was Wolverhampton Wanderers played for our reserves once. He looked haggard as fuck. So I take it it's not that version of Gaza you've got in the midfield there. <laughs> no, it's uh, specifically the Euro 96, uh, England, and then a bit of the Rangers Gaza as well. Because that's the one I'm used to. Rangers. I, I still, and we've mentioned it so many times in this podcast, having a midfield with both Gaza and Gattuso in it is just, uh, how do how do you, how do you play against that? <laughs> you don't. You have one, Ron will rainbow flick over your head, the other one will just destroy you. You have to run through you. Well, <laughs> we were talking earlier about uh, goals. His famous one against Scotland. Does he miss hit it? Is it a P-roller? I mean, obviously, the bit over Hendry's head's fantastic, but is the finish what he wanted? I think it's one of those where everyone's already out of their seat, so he could have done anything to put the ball in the yeah. net that everyone would have still gone wild. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. No, I'm, fantastic. I'm being harsh there, but, you know, again, it's one of those ones where the more I learned about him, the more you kind of do fall in love with him, and the more you fall in love with him, the more it breaks your heart to see that yeah. he never had the support which is on offer now for footballers. I mean, yeah. mental health was not he's, a thing, was it? He's probably one of the big reasons that uh, footballers now, especially in England and around England, do have the support because of everything he went down—the alcoholism, the mental health. The, like he just, what he wasn't well, was he? No, and all genius. Yeah, and it's just—I mean, you compare it to like the uh, Arsenal Tuesday Club, but they were all together, weren't they? I mean, I think maybe that's the thing that got them through to a certain point. Obviously, yeah. Tony Adams never has been in rehab and everything like that. But, you know, it just, it always felt like, again, this is looking from afar, post-event, it always looked like Gaza was the only one by himself. When at Middlesbrough, he bought his brother, didn't he, and to, to, sit, to live with him, or his best mate, or whatever it was. Uh, so have we then, got three central midfielders in that midfield, I'm assuming, with two left wing-backs? Uh, yeah. Left yeah, yeah, yeah. So my final one is more of the holding. My final, the central three, is the more of a holding uh, midfield. And this one, you've probably got to do a bit more research on, is Roman Vincelot, spelt uh, V-I-N-C-E-L-O-T. Um, the reason why I picked this guy is, um, as I've mentioned earlier, I was um, living in London 
playing for a team over Hackney Marshes called Birkbeck Orient, which was a pub that was a Leighton Orient supporters club pub. Um, brother-in-law was the manager and they needed a goal or they needed players. So I came played and I started uh, spending a lot of time up in East London and brother-in-law would always take me to games. And so we did. And there was this one season when uh, Wolves were relegated to League One and we played Orient twice. I've already mentioned when we went up to Molyneux to watch, but I watched a lot of Orient games during this period of time. And Roman Venselot um, signed for the club and just came in a bit like David Ginola in a way with an aura about him. He had this full, I mean, full beard like myself, but in like dark. And he had long, shaggy hair. And just looks like a B Tech Jabby Alonso. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. Because yeah. the thing is, he is, he's in League One, you know, but he became a cult hero at the club. And after the game, we'd always go up to the bar in the main stand and he would be willing to talk to you after a game. Um, he then, I think we were looking for sponsorship at the time. And I mean, we, we tried to sponsor a player thing and he got in contact via Twitter to say he wanted to sponsor us 10 quid for a player and um, met up with one of our players after the game to give us the 10 quid, Class. which was wicked. But then the kind of final nail in the coffin not really nailing the coffin, is it? I like him. Um, but the final kind of thing is that he became the club captain and my uh, nephew, my brother-in-law's little boy, uh, he was the mascot. And so I've got pictures of us sitting front row, seeing my nephew walk out, holding his hand and just kind of like my brother-in-law was in the, um, in the changing room with him at the beginning and just such a kind of like, you know, when we see videos of Premier League games, when like, I think it was uh mascot was cold and Connor Cody took his jacket off and wrapped it over the little girl. It was like that. He put his arm around him and knew he was a bit nervous and scared and just took care of him the whole time from getting into the changing room up until the moment that he had to walk off the pitch to, obviously then to meet the ref and kick off. He was such a lovely man. Um, obviously, on the pitch, League One player, so, you know, not the best in the world, but did his job with immense grace, but also wasn't afraid to get dirty and stuck in. I mean, you, you say League One player, like the standard even at League One is good. It's just not not the world-class standard you see in like the no, Premier League and all the other top leagues. But it, like, yeah, it's still it's still a very good standard, and I'm assuming he was a very good player. What I will say is, like, a lot of the times when you Google like lower league players or non-league players, there's barely anything about them because people don't know enough about him. This guy clearly like <laughs> it's pretty pretty long for a for a lower league player, so it shows that people are going in editing it because he's obviously uh, means a lot to a lot of people. So he makes an impression. I think everywhere he goes, he went when he left. He left with such good grace and. You know, there are certain players uh, that do, like, even if... So, he's not in my team, but uh, George Elakobi played for Wolves. He was an absolute tank. I mean, I'm talking, like, you know, yeah, Akin Fenwa just, style. Yeah. But, like, he, he got his thing, which was chop. That's hashtag chop. And he's still, he's still loved by Wolves fans, even though, you know, he scored two goals against Manchester United as well, actually, in the Premier League. So... 
There you go. So yeah, that's Roman Vincelot. Vincelot. Love it. And uh, same question again. What number is is Roman? Number four. Four. Nice. I'm doing that midfield nicely. Yeah. Right, so let's Ned, move along. The next Ned one. Is a contentious left wing back, and this is the only one that I kind of struggled on a bit, um, but. I wouldn't say out of position because he did play winger. Definitely not the number I want him to be because I'm determined to keep a 1-11. to 11. If I didn't, I probably would give him something like number 17. Can I do that? No. I'm going to stick to my guns. He's no, number two. It's your team. You, you're choosing this rule. We haven't given you this rule. I'm inventing my own rules. Anyway, it is Michael Kitely. Michael, Michael Kitely joined from Gray's Athletic. Um, and one of the stories was that when we had him on loan and he excelled, and when we went to buy him, the story was that Sir Alex Ferguson called up the chairman at Gray's and said, don't send him to Wolves, send him to Man United. Um, and the Gray's owner said, I'm sorry, we've already agreed um, the fee and we're, we're going to do it. So it went through and... Um, the next season, Wolves went to play Gray's Athletic in a preseason game. And me and my friend who I worked with down in um, London were both Wolves fans. So we made the trip across London all the way to Essex to watch Wolves versus Gray's Athletic. And uh, brilliantly, Mick McCarthy did his um, halftime team talk in the corner of the pitch because it was so sunny. He just sat everyone down and started talking. And then some of the players were signing. Uh, shirts and programs and so it was this kind of all access to the Wolves team at this point it was a boring nil-nil draw and I remember eating a lot of cheese sandwiches and drinking a lot of beer uh, yeah, a good night out. but it was one of those ones that kind of came you know everyone lords over Jamie Vardy for plucking out of obscurity and making his way up obviously Vardy achieved the the holy grail of winning the Premier League but Michael Kitely was um, on his way, I think, until injuries came a crocker, but was part of the Wolves team that got us promoted into the Premier League for the second time around under Mick McCarthy. Um, and then was one of the ones that we made a shit ton of money off when we sold him to Burnley, I think. Yeah, I was the Burnley. I always remember him because he was only little, wasn't he? He was like five, five nine, some of that. And he's him and Matt skinhead. Jarvis, we had him and Matt Jarvis yeah. on either side of the wing. Um, and yeah, just he was a joy to watch. He was quick. He was nippy. He scored quite a few goals from the wing. Um, and this kind of goes back to what I was saying about Dean Richards. When I was growing up at home in Wolverhampton, we'd go and watch games. When I was at university in London, Wolves had um, Watford, QPR, Reading at a push, uh, West Ham at some points, um, Millwall even though I probably wasn't really allowed to go there. But, you know, there's so many London games. Is actually my... I, Crystal Palace as well went to a lot of Wolves games in London, like away games. So I got to watch Wolves a lot, and Michael Kiteley was part of that. Class. Nice. Love that. All right. It's one of those players where I've not thought about Michael Kiteley for a long time. No, I haven't um, heard that name in so long. Just hearing the name, he's transported back to an era. Like, oh, yeah. And there was orange kits. It's very orange, I'm not going to lie. I oh, think... Gone, 
I've got one position left, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, you do. And this guy is, this guy is uh, playing behind the front two. Right, okay. okay, so like a number okay. 10 sort of thing. But in number well, seven. Not number 10. Wait, what number's Skytly? Two. Uh, well, he's got to be number two, because I'm not going to change my mind, but I would put him at number 17, but I'm not going to change. Uh, okay, so number seven, playing just behind the striker. I will um, quote my one of my favourite advertisement hoardings of all time. 1966 was a brilliant year for English football. Eric Cantona was born. <laughs> I'm assuming that's your choice. That's just a weird segue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so my choice is... <laughs> yeah. Philippe Albert. No, uh, Eric Cantona. What a player. I mean, what a player. I'm sure people have picked him plenty of times. Um it's a bit like David Beckham, how he almost kind of transcends playing football as well. He became an icon. I mean, I can't think of many people who would uh, go to prison after kicking a fan or kung fu kicking a fan, but come out with more of a court following. You know, most yeah, people yeah. get hated. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'd like you're right. Nowadays, if you like, I remember a few years ago, Eric Dyer went into the stand to confront a fan and everyone was like, oh, you can't be doing that. Eric Cantona, Kung Fu kicked someone into the crowd. Welcome back with open arms. Yeah. Yeah. And the, you know, well, I remember, he's significantly better than Eric Dyer, I should say. So that's... We had, um, on our podcast, we had um, a guy who's uh, creating a platform to sell used football shirts in a safe and secure manner. Um because on things like eBay and Facebook Marketplace, you 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 have the fakes that make their way on, and people try and legitimise them. So this is a guy, and he is a Marseille fan, uh, French, and he said that Cantona isn't a thing as much as he is over in the UK. Like they weren't as fascinated by him, the enigma, as oh, much yeah. as we are in the UK. So it's such a strange one that he was like, yeah, Cantona, but like we're like, whoa, yeah. I mean, it's one of those things, isn't it, where play, players do come over and try and sort of become cult heroes in the nations they're playing in rather than the ones that they're from. Like Jürgen Klinsmann as well. Another one. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So um, what what can we not say about him? What can we say about him? Scorer of great goals. Um, another one of those kind of like, much like Burkamp, uh, the blueprint for the lazy, uh, hardworking kind of attacking players that worked when he needed to, not or when he wanted to, not when he needed to, or whatever. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Um, fell out with the French squad, so didn't really play for them either, which made him more available for Man United. It's a common was... theme wherever he went, really, doesn't it? Just fall out with everyone or drop kick them. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, just the collar. Uh, we had... Um, I'm always, I'm genuinely always convinced that Manchester United always had a collared shirt because Cantona wore his collar up. Yeah, you know, I think you're right. I imagine that. I think you're right. I think the there's that there. iconic goal that he scores where his collar is actually half up, where the ball goes through. Yeah, and he chips from a stupid angle and then just stands with his arms out like a sort of, 
gladiator pose, are you not entertained, with I mean, his collar up? Just, oh. Are there many players where you could say, like, a chip from outside of the box is always going to be a Cantona-esque show? Yeah, yeah. Like, th- th- you're always going to know it. Like, I remember a weird one me and my dad were talking about the other day. John O'Shea did it against Arsenal once. <laughs> and everyone was like, it's a Cantona-esque goal. The way, like, like, whenever you chip someone from outside the box, that's what it is. Is there another player that you could... But it's, it's maybe the with a backing like curled free kick? Mm. It's, it's the, just the, the sheer arrogance and the nonchalance that you do it with. He epitomises that. Word. That, that is word. the word. Nonchalant, that is the word. And that's yeah. exactly how he was. It's like, again, slightly... I kind of, like, didn't watch a lot of him play because I didn't have Sky. So it was maybe match of the day I watched him soon. And then FA Cups... And things like that. And probably a goal that is not talked about as much is that FA Cup goal he scores against Liverpool when they won one nil. The the cream suits were FA yeah, Cup. It's, but yeah. it's actually quite a technically difficult uh, volley he does because it's behind him. You know, obviously it's not dropped out the air like Zinedine Zidane, but it's still a very a very intuitive goal to score. Much like Burkamp, you know, Burkamp operated within a space that's this big. I can think of so many goals that Burkamp scored where the ball stuck under his feet and manages to get enough up and on it yeah, to get a goal. Same player. If that were me, I'd be on my face. <laughs> I wouldn't be near the ball. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be on the halfway line, my hamstring pulled. But then his legacy lives on because even after retirement, the Nike advert, the cage. Yeah, the guy absolutely kills it. I mean, as that best best football advert ever. Would you? Do you want to? I really, I I really like the one. I think it was a was it for Nike? It's it's the one where it's like a load of international players like taking the ball off each other, and in the end, cleaner. Yeah, just takes out Ronaldinho. I think my favorite is the Brazil 2002 World Cup. That's yeah, fair. Yeah, when they're in the airport, just yeah. I mean, the, the cage is up there, hundred percent. But yeah, or the Arsenal one. Do you remember the Arsenal one? Yeah, it was like it. it was just the point of view of yeah, a, of a of guy coming through. I've only ever really appreciated appreciated that quite late on, because do you have you seen? Was it the beginning of this season? There was a player in the German league that wore a camera on his chest, and Giroud scored, and oh, for the yeah. first time you saw football from the perspective of a player and actually it was very similar to this player who's playing for Arsenal it was quite mad but um yeah that I mean Cantona was excellent in that I've you know you've seen the film Elizabeth with him in it there's a film called looking looking for Eric yeah and even now he talks so well and um is loved by everyone yeah yeah you're right just fantastic fantastic play the fact that you can turn your PR around from the fan incident to now is quite incredible. So either he's paying someone a lot of money or he is just that cool. Yeah. I'd say probably a bit of both. Yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> you don't do that on your own. Right. Yeah. So there's there's your starting eleven in the bag, even yep. numbered. So important question before you name the sub. What number are they wearing on a shirt? Uh good question. Uh twelve, probably. Right, go straight. All right, so yeah, yeah. See, see. I mean, if I'm going to stick with the one to eleven, thirteen's reserved for sub goalkeeper. Twelve has got to be your kind of sub, hasn't it? I think. Right, so who is it? See, this is actually a really interesting one because I'm torn. 
So I'm going to kind of say both of them to you because both, and then, then hopefully I'm going to pick it once we've talked it over and justified it. Because as soon, when you say super sub, there is only one answer, isn't there? It's Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. That is the only right answer because he has literally defined that role. I don't even know if the word super sub existed before Ole Gunnar Solskjaer became the player for Manchester United that came off the bench, scored equalising and subsequently winning goals and none better than doing it in the Champions League final against the best team in the world or you know in the best game in Europe. I think they were the best team in the world at that point, but yeah. they, were, yeah, they were insane, yeah. So, so Ole, Ole is obviously the obvious choice. So yeah. the second person to have to do a lot to beat Ole away from this. Yeah, so this one, review, this one I'm, off, I'm actually working on a more tangible kind of reality of who would I want to come on and change a game. And to me, in the last four or five years, and this is a current player, there's only, again, being a Wolves fan, there is one answer that I would pick. And it's unfortunate. But it's a Dharma Traore. As soon as you said Karen Wolfsburg, I was like, there's only one person. It's the greased up bloke from Spain, isn't it? I mean, let's say this is like when Wolves first got promoted, we had some excellent Portuguese players. And you've just, as I, let's say you're, well, you're Manchester City and you're both at home and away, by the way. Um, you're kind of dealing with your Diego Jota who was phenomenal yeah. as well with Wolves, um, massively underrated at Liverpool because of injuries, but phenomenal talent. Um, you've just managed, and he is a touch-and-go player. He's going to pick passes, and you're like, thank God he's gone. And who comes on? Adama Traore, the fastest player in the Premier League, I think. But doesn't, I mean, how? How is he the fastest player? He is probably by far the heaviest of the players in the Premier League as well. Yeah. Maybe it's just gravity. You just get if he leans farther forward, well, it just momentum takes him. I've got a bit of a theory in the fact that you know, um, if you try and grab something that's like oily or greasy and it <laughs> flies out of your hand like super speed, you're thinking. Yeah. So I think someone's just kind of like tried to grab him and he's just off he it's goes. That little, when you go into a gift shop at the end of a museum or something, it's like a, a worm when you squeeze it and it just keeps on going up yeah, and up and up. Yeah, and up yeah, <laughs> yeah. the wiggly worm. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, he is outrageously quick, and he obviously he's absolutely huge. And I dispute the fact that he claims that he never lifts weights. But yes, you do. I was going uh, to. I think the quote is actually, "I've never t- stepped foot in a gym." So he might have lifted weights. All oh, right, okay. So it's well, like... I I heard that he never lifts weights either. I heard it was all body weight stuff. Um, oh, maybe that's so... what he said, but is, uh, that's not true. I mean, I don't think, yeah, I can't believe it being true. I mean, and there were certain, obviously, the, 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 the problem that people have with him at the moment is that his inconsistencies are there and he's not finding anything. But when he was first at Wolves, second season being at Wolves, when we were in the Europa League, him and um, Raul Jimenez were just a complete package. Yeah, him, yeah, Jota, Jimenez, we were just destroying teams like Manchester City because they couldn't handle what was happening. And again, Traore has scored some outrageously good goals from distance, one against Spurs in particular, um, and was put, dinking in some beautiful balls. I remember like during COVID, I think for a while, 
him he assisted Raul Jimenez for like four games in a row and it's like it's incredible but yeah I mean to me he hits literally all of the boxes as being a perfect substitute to come on to change a game if you need to yeah well I think you just talked yourself into that one so I think it's going to be a Dharma isn't it yeah, and I think, let's be honest, I think most, I, I mean, uh, a lot of people in, in your podcast will pick uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer because, again, he is the right answer. But sometimes you don't want the right answer. You want a little fancy answer. It's also, it's the fact that it's your team and, like, uh, Adama means probably more to you than Ole does. So, yeah. I don't think he would look nearly as good greased up as Adama Traore does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure it's there is a picture. That, it's that hilarious thing when it goes when the camera like just switches and it's like, oh, Adama Traore is coming on, and instead of him getting his shirt ready, his boots ready, it's just a guy stood next to him just on his arm. The Johnsons out, lads. Come on! <laughs> it's like, what the hell is going on? It's just so funny. Well, I think that's a great choice as a super sub. He would absolutely change the game. I can see him fitting in nicely as alongside Eric Cantona on that side. Uh, so. We will take a short break and then we're going to come back and we're going to do the manager, the stadium and the kit. We have your starting 11, your super sub, and now we're going to go into, uh, well, let's go, with, let's go with, well, I'm going to say let's go with manager. You chose where we were going last time. So if you want to do that again, that's back to, back to the goalkeeper. Fine. Yeah, yeah. So that Kasper Schmeichel, eh? That guy. Brian <laughs> Lasso. What a... Let's just wind it back. Let's go get to... Right, it's Mick McCarthy. There's only one answer. Super Mick McCarthy. Was it first press statement, press uh, thing for Wolves, press conference? Um, See that there? That says MM. It stands for Mick McCarthy, not Merlin the Magician. The guy kicks Roy Keane out of the World Cup squad because he doesn't agree with what he says. And wants to play football. I mean, it takes a lot of like nerve to do that. Roy Keane, who obviously at the time was a massive part of Man United's team, probably one of the best midfielders in Europe, let's say, you know. And he was like, "No, we don't want you." I mean, that that was massive. Obviously, he wasn't yeah. Wolves, was Republic of Ireland at the time. Took Republic of Ireland to one of their biggest, best finishes. Still remember Robbie Keane scoring against Germany in the last minute and being really excited by it because. Ex Wolves player. Um, again, this kind of it comes in at the same time that I went to university and started following Wolves. Um, that kind of period between Graham Taylor, who was Wolves manager, uh, and then like I, it, I can't, I didn't, I wouldn't say I fell in love with football, but I fell in love with women and alcohol. So the kind of Glenn Hoddle era and. Uh, the ones in between, I kind of just kind of passed me by. I still followed Wolves a bit, but they kind of just all jumbled up. I don't really have a concise memories. But then when Mick McCarthy came, who was this wonky-nosed Yorkshireman, and just spoke truth. And again, I started going to these games, and you follow him, and he waves to the crowd, and Wolves start picking up results. You know, we beat West Brom 1-0 who we hadn't been for a long time, we get into the playoffs. You know, we then, um, you know, go even better and win the league with people like Michael Kitely and uh, Gary Breen. And strangely enough, 
we went. I mean, Wolves won the league a few years. Uh, we didn't win the league. We got promoted by the playoffs a few seasons before. We had um, Dennis Irwin in our team. We had Paul Ince. We had Oleg Luzhny. We had Colin Cameron, Alex Ray. These are all this. This Wolves team was the archetypal. Uh, we've just been promoted. Let's buy all the old Premier League players to try and stay up, yeah. and it didn't work. Yeah, we beat Man United one nil, but when we came from three 0 down to beat Leicester four three, but you know we didn't really have a successful season. But with this team, it was maybe a few more rejects that we bought in. You know, Kevin Doyle, um, Chrissy Walumo, Sylvain Ebanks, Blake. You know, from Plymouth Argyle, Michael Kitely from Greys. Uh, Gary Breen, you know, Wayne Hennessy, who was obviously coming up through Wolves, didn't end very well there. But, you know, we had these younger players that were nobodies at, at, in, in respect to a kind of like previous Wolves teams. And yet we managed to get promoted and stay in the Premier League for three seasons. So all credit. And then let's not even forget the fact that he's an absolutely terrific pundit. Who takes no shit during World Cups? Yeah, yeah. it's just hilarious, isn't it? It's so funny. My favorite ever thing about Mick McCarthy is the he doesn't say anything, but he's on the sideline, and then the camera pans to him, he just looks across, like almost like a, a sensual look, and someone put a, I think it's like a careless whisper on the top of it or something like that. And he just sort of like looks at the camera. So yeah. good, so uh, good. Yes, I mean, there's the other one as well, which I just did, which is I think against Blackburn when uh, he gets scared by a ghost. And if you watch that one, he's just there and he goes, and there's nothing there. And it's just me and my friends replicate that all the time whenever we talk about Mick McCarthy. <laughs> That's so good. I, an icon of the, of the English game. Another one of those people that, if you ask anyone outside of, of the UK, who's Mick McCarthy, they're like, who's who, sorry? Yeah, no, no idea. idea. But he's yeah, he's, he's an icon, iconic man. He's managed... A lot of iconic clubs, and yeah. he will be remembered as a legend for yeah. many clubs. Not One for of the club, things as well about Mick McCarthy is he, um, when we were in the Premier League, we rested a load of players against somebody, a weaker team, because we were a weaker team, to play someone else. And he got we got fined for resting players. And that was like one of the first successful FA charges. And he just came out and said, look, I'm just planning for the game where I'm going to try and win the most amount of points and it you know I've got a squad I'm going to utilize my squad as best as possible and I think there was a kind of honesty of, of that at the time because it was like if Man United rested players no one batted an eyelid but you know we were Wolves and against Manchester United there was no point in us trying to play our best 11 we wanted to rest them to play Burnley where we could try and get three points or effectively a massive six-pointer and I love that about him and I think again he had no problems in just kind of going, yeah, that's why I'm doing it. Yeah, yeah. No nonsense, definitely. From that school of no nonsense English manager, isn't he? Absolutely is. I guess you want to know well, what's going there, don't you? We do. And I'm going to, well, well, you always like to assume it's going to be the home stadium. Is it Molyneux? No. Come on. Oh. Wembley? No. <laughs> no. So, I have been to quite a few stadiums. I've been on many stag do's in which uh, my friendship groups have tried to go to different football stadiums in different countries. Uh, my stag do, I went. We went to the Ajax Arena, um, as it was called then. Yeah, 
it's brilliant. But I was hungover like you wouldn't fucking believe. And we were stood, sat in the top tier. And I, as much as I loved being there, I was, I was scared I was going to fall off the stadium because I was really hungover. It felt really steep. Some man was smoking and no matter how much I ate, I still felt terrible and like I was going to fall. So I was clinging onto my seat the whole time. Um, we had Ryan Babel. He was playing for Ajax at the time and a young Christian Eriksen. And um, they drew one all. Uh, and I don't really remember much about those two players playing. And uh, yeah, I mean, great stadium. Don't get me wrong, but bad memories because of how hungover I was. So that, was, that can't go in there. And then I think about times when I've felt stadiums rocking. And a friend of mine was is an Arsenal fan and his dad has corporate seats. And obviously all Premier League games have tiers. And the high tiered games, they'd be like, yeah, I'm going to entertain my clients. And then a lower tiered game, he'd be like, son, do you want to go to watch the football? and enjoy the corporate hospitality. And he was like, yeah, so Wolves Arsenal. And he said, Rich, do you want to come along? I'm like, yes. Don't wear your shirt. Wear something nice. Okay. Met him, went in, and got greeted with champagne. Eat fucking as much food as you want. Sat on the comfy seats at the Emirates. And I was bloated, and I felt rough because... I don't know about you, if you ever go to football, I don't eat that much before I go to football. I'm never stuffed. I'm maybe had a pie, maybe had some, you know, a burger or something, but I'm never like bloated and stuffed because I've eaten too much. And I was sitting there. This was during the Mitt McCarthy era. Nil-nil all the way. 93rd minute, Nicholas Bentley scores the winner. Now, I don't know if it's because I was just feeling rubbish, but I felt the Emirates rocking for that one little period. But I can't pick that because it was Nicholas Bentner and it was against Wolves. So I'm going to pick the stadium where I felt the most electric. And that was for my friend Russell's um, stag do. We went to Hamburg and we went to the Volkspark Stadium. Um, Hamburg was, has been a fantastic club throughout history. However, they've fallen on hard times. And this was a massive six-pointer against Hertha Berlin and a 1-0 win. And just there was a group of like seven or eight of us and we're wearing stag do T-shirts in the kind of Hamburg style shirts. We are getting involved. We drink. You're allowed to drink beer whilst watching, which is phenomenal. And, you know, we can see the Hertha Berlin fans behind the goal over there and they're bouncing with their flags. And then when Hamburg score in, I can't remember what minute it was, but, you know, we were bouncing it was rocking and it was probably one of the most intense excitable um moments in football for me and stadium wise anyway amazing i mean it's, it is an incredible stadium i think because it's well it's one of those stadiums for like you said for a big club falling on hard times but that stadium's still iconic and still mm. gets the crowds in even yeah. though they're struggling <laughs> Yeah, I find that with most German sides as well. Yeah, it's because it's cheap. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know how much I can remember of it, but uh, chanting on the, you kind of get the metro in and people are chanting all the way. You get off, you get greeted by people selling you beers. Like, um, what are they called? Like, 
popcorn girls at the cinema in America like that, but with beers and you're allowed to drink beer on the walk up and there's someone taking your beer can off you because they get money back off it. So it's keeping the place nice and clean. There's Berlin fans walking in with Hamburg fans, which doesn't happen in, in Premier League or even English football. And just what an exciting time it was. Amazing. Great pick. I thought so. Great pick. Right. Well, the next pick is a big one. Yeah. Because of the name of your podcast and the content that you create. So your kit. Yeah. What have you gone for? Um, I had to rack my brains for this because there's a lot I could choose from. When I think about football kits, there's certain elements that I really, really adore. So I like a bit of, uh, we call it taping down the sleeve. So think about Kappa which I probably could show you, but I uh, think about Kappa, think about Umbro logos going all the way down. I like geometric patterns on shirts. So again, let's think about like 90s Umbro shirts, how geometric patterns fit within each other. And um, I like a cuffed sleeve because we all like to look good. So when we wear football shirts, if it's cuffed, it makes your arms look a bit bigger and you look a bit muscular. So um, there is really only one winner. And I got it here because it ticks all my boxes. Um, it's the Wolverhampton Wanderers shirt. You'll see this is the away shirt. I think, I mean, I'm going to get it wrong now. 1997, made by Puma. You'll see that the taping down the sleeve is, uh, says W and W uh, kind of up against each other. So it looks all right there the this is this is genius and i don't know why this has not been done by wolves more if i kind of like show it there you see like up upside down wolves heads it all oh, yeah. look at that matches up perfectly on the back as well look at that just it fits so nicely it's such a wonderful kind of geometric pattern um i also love the color the kind of turquoisey green um I love that color, and it's obviously it's something they did recently with their new away kit, kind of paying homage to this kit, which um, again Steve Bullwar scored many goals in it. Um, and it I is just, an absolutely stunning kit, to be fair. So what I like, oh, and it doesn't stop there. This was the I haven't I I've got the the real version which with puma on it is actually like hidden away because uh it's quite delicate so uh, wolves remade these versions but without puma on them so that's why there's no puma that go there but if you see you see the kind of piping here the piping follows down and makes a wolf's head a big wolf's head yeah. and wh what i really like the most and this is something that i'm quite a big fan of with football kits anyway is that the home shirt is gold and black in exactly the same pattern the goalkeeper shirt is blue with like red sleeves in exactly the same pattern and the away goalkeeper shirt is like gold sleeves with green or something like that so i really like the continuity that stays within the football shirt which you don't see very much anymore yeah, because... I, I definitely don't know everyone's got well if you look at night's kits nowadays they're all absolutely outrageous away kits just for the sake of it yeah, yeah i think that symmetry between even goalkeeper and home shirt is nice, but to have it home and away, just like sort of reverse colours or different colouring with the same design is a great idea. And you're right, it's absolutely beautiful. And the, other, the final thing to make it, and the, the shorts were this kind of matching as well. And there was a triangle on the 
short where the, the same pattern was, and then the socks were gold and green hooped. Oh, right. and the home say gold. Do you mean gold or do you mean orange? Gold. <laughs> um, gold and green hoops, and yeah, just um, memories of Steve Ball scoring goals in that kit. And you know, this was back in the day when, as well, they were baggy as hell. So, yeah. I mean, if I was being completely honest, I would prefer a more modern fit. So I might redo it, but to me, that that shirt ticks all the boxes because I just love it. It's it's history to me. It's um, emotional memories to me. It, again, like as a foot as a pod, as a football shirt collector ish. Um, it. It, yeah, it has all the ideal things I want and I like. Amazing. And if that, ladies and gentlemen, does not entice you to go and listen to Rich chat about football shirts on his podcast, I don't know what will, because that was inspiring as hell. Yeah, that was I'm so gonna go good. Get my own collection out and just tell my wife all about them. She'll hate it, but I'm going to love it. So if, if I may, just really quickly on that, the, the point that we're trying to achieve with it is we don't want to just appeal to fans of football shirts because – there is quite a niche category, but I, I do believe, and I haven't yet been proven wrong. I think everyone's got a story. Be it your first, like people that don't even like football shirts, you might see someone wear it and you might have a memory of it. Um, you know, you might wear a football shirt that looks a bit odd and you go down the street and someone goes, oh, what, you know, what team is that? And you get into a conversation, you go to the pub wearing a shirt and you start conversations about, first football shirts uh what football shirt you bought as a kid um who you remember wearing what shirt you know we already said you can remember eric Cantona in a specific shirt scoring a goal yeah that kind of thing it evokes so many memories yet we are quite a niche shirt collecting podcast but we ne don't necessarily talk about our collections we talk about the emotions they can create, the uh, histrionics they might have, the the passion it can generate. And the more I can try and get to different people who might not always think about football shirts, the better. Nice. God, that was really good. That's really well sold. <laughs> well done. Go listen, everyone. Right, well, we've got all your picks here. So now I'm going to go back through them just to make sure you're happy with them. And then all we need from you then is the team name. So we'll start with the formation. We went for a 3-5-2 formation. In goal, you had Kasper Schmeichel. Then across the back, Graham Lasso, Dean Richards and Yap Stam. Yes, moving into the midfield, you had two wing-backs being David Beckham and Michael Kitely. Uh, the central midfielders, you have Paul Gascoigne and Roman Vincelot. And then sort of a number 10 role, you have Eric Cantona. The front two... Dennis Burkamp, an SB9, Steve Bull. <laughs> and then the super so off the bench, Adama Traore. Yeah, yep. so the manager is none other than Mick McCarthy. The stadium is Volkspark Stadion. St Stadion? Stadion, yes. Yeah. And the kit is the 1997 Wolves away kit. And honestly, check that one out because it is a lovely kit. Unbelievable. So all that's left to do is to name the team. This is the one I've really struggled on. Um, I like alliteration. Okay. I mean, Wolverhampton Wonders is quite good for that. It fits quite nicely, but I'm not going to call them Wolverhampton. And I have um, a, a, 
wonderful admission that my uh, when I, me and my dad used to do fantasy football back in the day when it was only in the paper and you had to create a team and my team was ingeniously called Richard's Rovers my auntie had me a t-shirt made with that kind of classic uh, clip art football at, and then Richard's Rovers written around it for my birthday once which I love to pieces uh, but that also is a shit name um, but I think I have I'm Keep this in the blooper reel if you want, because I've got some great ideas for names, maybe not necessarily for this one. Um, on the job I do, I do subtitling, which is um, I do live for Sky. So I work for Sky and I cover all the live sports. So I cover the football and it's all re-speaking into a microphone. So the commentator speaks or the presenter speaks and I re-speak into the computer, change any little bits and bobs that need changing. On my first day... I'm doing Sky Sports News and they're talking about the Galacticos and my computer hadn't had the word Galacticos trained in and what came out was the Galactic Hose. Um, but I'm incredibly proud that I have been playing draft football. This is like proper draft football where you only pick one player each. And um, I was quite happy to pick Giggs Boson. Like the Higgs Boson particle, yeah, yeah. Giggs Boson. And so I even created a badge which had Ryan Giggs's head in the middle in black and white, and then um, like proton particles going around it. I've got it somewhere. I'll send it to you. So I figured, why not keep Giggs Boson? Amazing. Nice. Giggs Boson. <laughs> we always like it when someone's got a reason behind the name. Yeah. Oh, well, and there we have it. There's your whole team, starting 11, super sub, all the rest, and the name, all boxed off. So before we let you go, I want to thank you again massively for coming onto the podcast and joining us. And pleasure. taking time out to, to chat with us about football. So before we let you go, you've already done it so eloquently, but for one last time, plug your podcast. Okay. Um I like football shirts. I like I like football. I like everything to do with football and I have got a mouth on me and I just need a conduit to blurt out whatever I want to talk about. And it's unfortunately, unfortunately, football shirts. I've got a friend who I do it with, Mark, who um, we go through football shirts. It's not necessarily always new football shirts. It's sometimes old football shirts. It's maybe ones you've never seen before. It's maybe ones that have pictures of prawns on them. It might be the famous Simpsons meme of Homer Simpson walking into the bush. Bet he didn't know that was a football shirt. Some no, goalkeeper no. in some country wore that one. And the away goalkeeper shirt was itchy and scratchy, hitting his on the head. Um, I've got a Star Wars football shirt from uh, Club Tijuana in Mexico. Nice. So, you know, it's all these fascinating elements of uh, music and football. And, um, I mean, watching football on TV, not even like TV programs, they've got football in them. And made up football teams like Harchester United or uh, Renford Rejects, or you know, uh, what's that called? The one when AFC, the Richmond. AFC yeah. Richmond, brilliant example. More recently, a Mean Machine. Um, that was yeah. kind of ones, you know. Um, like I say, music. Like I've got a Seattle Sounders shirt, which is Jimi Hendrix inspired. So Jake Bug sponsors Notts uh, County, oh, which will wow. now be being a Wrexham fan. 
Um, you know, Ed Sheeran getting involved, Elton John being involved with Watford. There's so many different nuances to football shirts. You know, like as we're talking about fashion as well, like Versace making football shirts. I mean, yeah. but you know, that's the kind of thing. It's, it goes off on so many different tangents. We've had so many guests on, including makers of kit, um, tour sports. We've got a guy called Jake from Arts on Shirts who's not job is but his passion is to um, make art on football shirts which is phenomenal to look at we've had other podcasters um like maybe double a who talks about uh, man united and brazil with such a passion um kitten bone another kind of artist who uh, makes football shirts that look like other teams but they're not and they have their own little spin on um people that are uh, tom from circa 88 who uh, deals i mean he's got he's from sheffield and has contacts with mexico to supply mexican football shirts to the uk and i just love how he stumbled upon that niche so everything about football is quite niche but when you kind of picture it all together it makes lovely um artwork and that's kind of like how i i'm selling it right now um it's all one beautiful piece and football shirts is just one element of that and much like we've done today these conversations can go on a massive tangent so it's probably loosely football based i'm, I'm ready I'm so ready. where can we find you before we let you go good question that is a very good question i'm not normally the one who says this my normally my partner mark who says it we are at shirts pod on twitter and face no not facebook no one's on facebook uh twitter and instagram uh, our DMs are open massively. I mean, oh god, the amount of DMs we're getting—so many. Just, I won't even bother giving you the email address because that inbox is full. <laughs> I am being, of course, uh, silly. No one ever messages us on, uh, but that's not the point why we do it. Even if no one messaged, we'd still do it because yeah, we love it, we have a passion about it, and that's the thing. But if anyone ever wants to listen, um, get in contact with us to talk about a shirt they're passionate about, to want to come on the show and talk about a project they've got going on or, um, you know, their collection of Scunthorpe United 1993 to 1999 shirts, match worn, you know, I'm all for it. Yeah, nice, amazing. Well, Rich, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. All right, there we go. Another fantastic guest in the bag. Spoke very, very passionately about football, his own podcast and the whole idea behind it. And genuinely go listen to it because it is great, great listen. And if you listen, um, you may hear us up here soon. Yeah, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Yeah. So uh, thanks again for listening. Uh, tune in again next week. We'll have another very special guest or another fun concept coming your way. It's been a while since we've done a concept episode, so maybe it's time for one of them. If you want to join in the fun and follow us on socials, check out the video content that we make or listen to all of our episodes. Make sure you follow us on socials at... Uh, it's Nostalgia FC Pod on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram. We are on Facebook. Um, anything else. If we can find another social media, we'll try and get ourselves on there. Uh, the email address is nostalgiafcpod at gmail.com. If, as ever, DM us, email us, let us know if you want to be on the pod. Give us suggestions for concept episodes or whatever. Give us a shout. Boom. All right. Well, that's that's enough off from us. Thanks again for listening. We will see you next week. That was Richard Critchlow from the Wonderful World of Football Shirts podcast delivering 
Giggs Boson. And what a team it was. And what a team it was. logo bruce banana in the background obviously our podcast is a bruce banana hate it i think it's one of the worst football shirts in history there are are better bruised banana kits because obviously arsenal had the yellow and black but there's a blue and white version a red and black version we talked about it a few weeks ago i don't know many red and black bananas though (laughs) if you leave that long enough it's it's funny that we call it the bruised banana as a pattern rather than like because it is just yellow and black isn't it yeah but uh yeah. romania under 21s wore that kit the bruised banana once but also had the matching shorts wow. so they did arsenal there <laughs>